Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to talk about challenges facing the public schools. Joining us in the studio are Brown County School Superintendent David Schaefer and Monroe County School Superintendent Dr. J.T. Koopman. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. And our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Welcome back to both of you. Thank you. I've been Thank here you. before. It's always a pleasure. And But it does seem like we always have challenges to talk about. It's not, mm. not ever uh, just a bunch of bright, sunshiny things. School- I, I always get nervous before a show when I'm getting emails about the show already. Oh, but, yeah. So I, I think we, we may have a very popular topic on our hands today. And so today. targets on our backs. That's yeah. right. We'll see. Well, let's, let's – you know, I, I think most people who are listening probably realize that, that uh, schools have, have had some significant budget cuts from the state. Uh, but I wanted to, to just start by having both of you give sort of an overview of where your corporation is. And David, let's start with you. Okay, we are um, for about three years uh, during the time I've been superintendent. We have been faced with budget cuts. We had some problems over in Brown County, as we talked last year with the uh, property tax reassessment issue, and uh, went through quite a long span of time where we were working with tax anticipation warrant loans. And when I took over, we found that we were in a a deficit situation as far as our uh, general fund is concerned. So we worked pretty hard over three years to make reductions. And I suppose I would say at this point maybe that was a bit of a blessing because we made some pretty significant cuts, uh, just under $2 million on a, on a general fund budget in the $13.5 million uh, range. And so when uh, the state cuts hit last spring, we were probably fortunate in that we had taken a lot of action that uh, uh, Dr. Koopman and some of the other folks around in the area have had to do all in one, uh, in one um, springtime. And um, so I say at this point in time, we're anxiously awaiting uh, whether or not the governor's latest statement that there won't be any additional uh, funding cuts from the state will will hold true or not, and uh, uh, anxious that uh, that be the case. Uh, and I would say at this point in time, uh, we feel like we are in a structurally balanced general fund, uh, but obviously we have made some pretty significant cuts over three years. Well, what's it look like uh, this fall at Brown County compared to – this spring, uh, yeah, this fall at Brown County compared to last spring when people left? Are you, are you, do you have fewer teachers in the classroom? Have you had to close any classrooms, anything of that nature? We, we uh, probably made our heavier cuts a year ago and uh, we're down uh, a couple of, a, a couple of po- teaching positions and some other uh, staffing positions uh, from the previous year. Um, but overall, you know, we were able to get by last spring without having to do um, some of the significant things that the other folks that I've mentioned uh, had to do. Um, and I would uh, say that we relied heavily last spring on early retirement incentives for some of our staff and were able to save a pretty good chunk of the money we felt like we needed to save in, uh, in that range. We are down uh, or anticipating a drop in enrollment of – um, in the vicinity of 50 to 60 students, and that's a pretty significant hit for a school district our size. Uh, we're going to be about 2,035 students or so uh, this year down from uh, right around 2,100. And so that's got our attention at this point in time because um, for us about $6,000 a head and pretty significant uh, hit that and we'll you have still to have take. the same buildings to maintain, and yeah, we have four el- four overhead. elementary schools yeah. and a and a junior high school that's seventh and eighth grade and a high school. Mm-hmm. If you just joined us, that's uh, David Schaefer, the superintendent of the Brown County School System, and uh, JT, uh, Dr. Koopman, We've had uh, uh, you on the program before. There have been challenges. We've written a lot about it in the paper. Uh, again, just sort of a budget overview as we head into the fall. Well. Um, 
You know, the, the, the good news is you've, if you were looking for that, for the good news, I can give you the good news because the, the good news is this is my favorite time of year when the kids come back and, and we have uh, a lot of energy in our classrooms and in our schools right now. It's very positive. And I was kind of anxious to see uh, the mood and the environment in the schools after last spring. And uh, everybody's energized and looking forward to school. And uh, we're going to have to, con- we, we will continue to have quality programmings. Um, with that being said, uh, much like uh, Mr. Schaefer mentioned, uh, we did an early, cent- uh, early retirement incentive and 43 people uh, took us up on that. And so that provided some opportunity for some savings there by hiring. Can, less- I, can I interrupt you for just a second? Yes. Early retirement is beneficial for a school system because older, more experienced teachers are more expensive to employ? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Correct. It's not that you're actually losing those positions. It's just that the people who are in those positions cost the school system less to employ. Theoretically. Um, And and in some cases, um, if we didn't have to replace them because of our budget reductions, we didn't. In most cases, we did. And we we were able to bring people back off of the reduction in force list. Uh, And and in many cases, um, some of those folks were much less expensive than the the individuals that took their retirement. So um, in in theory, there's a lot of things that work there when you're going through a reduction in force and you're also going through expenditure reductions. So you really look at opportunities uh, for expenditure reductions as well as continuing programs where you, where you need to with less expensive people. Mm-hmm. So uh, all of those things uh, fall into play in that type of a scenario. Um, we had uh, – we still have a, about uh, – as, as a result of that, uh, 29 people that we didn't bring back all off of the reduction in force list, um, but we, we issued 130 reduction in force notices. And uh, when in fact, uh, uh, in reality, about 70 of those uh, went into effect. So to have um, around 30 people that, that we haven't called back, we're, we're actually feeling pretty good about that. Uh, some of our class sizes are larger than we would want them to be, obviously, because of the expenditure reductions, which was $5.8 million. It was a lot of money. Um, in computing this year's budget, um, that's where we start. We start with a 2011 budget with $5.5 million less than we had in 2010 because we still have to have a balanced budget. And as most of uh, – I would hope most of the listening audience understands is that we have a ballot referendum or a referendum on the ballot for this November, and it's extremely important uh, that the community support this, not only from the school district's perspective as far as quality programs and quality schools and putting quality teachers in the classrooms to administer those programs, but from a community perspective because quality schools equal a quality community, quality community equals business development and people wanting to live and move here. So there's a lot of synergy in relationship to all of that uh, working well together. And so uh, it's bigger than the schools. It is a community initiative as well as a school initiative. Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone number is 855-0811-1877-285-9348. Our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. I wanted to ask about the referendum because you mentioned the $5.8 million cut. Uh, The referendum, which calls for about a $0.14 increase on the property taxes, would allow you to raise $7.5 million more. Why the $1.7 million above what you've had to cut? Well, obviously, you're looking forward to something that's going to stand for six years. And so you really have to look forward six years hence. And uh, so that's the maximum rate that we can raise. And if we don't need to raise the 14 cents or if we don't have to have a 14 cent raise in order to make our budget work, we won't. So, But we have to identify a number that's going to take us through six years. And so it's difficult to look into that crystal ball six years forward. So you really have to have some money that's going to be set aside for cost of living increases, utility and insurance increases that are, that are going to take you forward. And those are all general fund issues. And again, for the listening audiences, uh, um, I guess education, for lack of a better term, is, is school funding is kind of a complicated and complex issue. 
And essentially, we have five funds, and the general fund is where we have our funding issue, and 93% of our general fund is people. So therefore, the only way when you have uh, budget shortfalls, you have to reduce people because those people equal X number of dollars. And uh, a a lot of times uh, when you look at uh, construction that is going on in a school district and, you know, we built a new Fairview Elementary School, we have a new transportation center, uh, we did some work on a soccer field in front of South High School. So all of those things go, well, why why can you build buildings and and you have uh, revenue to do that, but you don't have revenue for people? Well, that's separate money and separate funds, and uh, some of that money comes from capital projects. Some of it comes from bond issues, which is paid for out of a debt service fund, and then you have transportation. Those funds can't be commingled or transferred uh, because of state statute. So even if we did have uh, some reserve money in one of those funds and we wanted to transfer it to the general fund, we couldn't do it. The legislature did give us a little bit of latitude in capital projects to transfer some money. But the maximum amount that we could transfer out of capital projects is a million dollars. And as I stated earlier, we had a $5.8 million issue. So that gets us a little way down the track, but not very far. And it's also um, something that is dangerous when you pay, uh, um, take Rob from Peter to pay Paul, because uh, we're trying to maintain our buildings and our capital projects fund is used for technology and maintenance of facilities as well as supplies. So at some point in time, uh, you're going to have to pay more attention to your buildings, and that money's not going to be available in a sustained manner to uh, fund your general fund. So you have to be real careful about um, bridging that gap with capital projects money. Uh, um, uh, two questions, I guess. One, first for, for David, did you take some of that capital money and, and transfer it, or, or did you leave that alone? No, we did also. We did the uh, the amount that was allowable under the under the statute, and for us, that was a 5% amount. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think many, many school districts took advantage yeah. of mm-hmm. that opportunity. And, and mm-hmm. my second question is, how long have, do you have the authority to do that? Was that a one-year situation, or do you have the authority to do that more than that? Just a one-year? Yes, yeah. it is one year. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's... And we've had some uh, stimulus money that's come in. So I think that there's a perception among the public, perhaps, that, oh, boy, Federal money, it's pennies from heaven. Um, this is going to bail us out. Woohoo! Why do we need this referendum? Do you want to speak to that, Dr. Goodman? That is a great question, and I really appreciate you uh, presenting that information. Of course, the, the federal government just came through with what they call a teacher stimulus package, and it's about $10 billion for the country to put teachers back to work. And um, for Indiana, that's about uh, $207 million, and the The money will come from the federal government back to the state, and then the state has the latitude to either put it into a funding formula for distribution or into Title I for distribution or a combination of both of those. Can you explain Title I? Title I is a a program, a a federal program, uh, to improve reading and math uh, opportunities for children of poverty. Okay. And so you have to have a certain demographic in a, in a school, and we do it on a school-wide basis. So we have six Title I schools out of the 22 schools that we have in, in Monroe County Community Schools that qualify by that poverty rate for Title I so that we can hire additional teachers and aides to work with those children. Okay. So that's, that's Title I. Uh, And by the way, that's how the stimulus dollars were distributed this last time. Uh, It was through special education and Title I that stimulus dollars were used. So it didn't really help our general classrooms in relationship to funding and that other side of the personnel piece where we have a significant issue. And I could go into that whole thing on the the stimulus money. uh, Yeah, let me me mention that. Just I think I can – go over this very quickly, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I think uh, those were basically called stabilization funds. I think that they were part of the stimulus package, and they went to schools and and other units of government to help keep things um, better than they might have been otherwise. So most of the stimulus money people think about are things that that were funded through like construction projects, but this was actually money that kept helping schools operate. And it, it, it came to us in a for a special ed in a two-year uh, program, and uh, I think the Title I was essentially – was it a one-year program, I believe. Is that right? They were, they were both two. Both two. Mm-hmm. And uh, so 
you know, that came with some very strict limitations on it, and we used we used it over in Brown County to uh, help us uh, fund uh, uh, in part some positions, even though it was really recommended not to do that because as you fund positions, you have ongoing expenses with those positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used it to kind of as a short-term boost uh, to to get us. Uh, through uh, a difficult period of time, but um, you know a lot of it was designated money, and so it would have been nice probably to have gotten it without strings attached. That does not happen with the federal government uh, as you know, and I you know remains to be seen how this new uh, jobs money is is going to be distributed to us. I think we 're all kind of waiting and anxious to see exactly what that is, but I think the same issue um, comes through, we, we immediately, when we saw that amount of money, I thought, oh, wow, this might really make a, a, a big difference. But it is a defined amount of money, and at least for Brown County, some of our challenges have been in the area of ongoing expenses for staff people. So you're going to get yourself into trouble pretty quickly if you plan on using that money uh, to fund positions uh, beyond some defined period of time because mm-hmm. it's going to be used up. Mm-hmm. How, so, so Dr. Koopman, how will you go about deciding, you know, how you're going to spend that money? Will that be a? No, well, what what Mr. Schaefer just just talked about is is a real dilemma for us because it is non-sustainable dollars, and and it will give us the opportunity to do something for one year, and and then after that, uh, that funding goes away. And so um, in, in our district, uh, we're really trying to focus on literacy. And so I can and see us uh, trying to do some things with uh, continued literacy development and, and probably do some things with literacy coaches in our buildings with that money. Mm-hmm. And, and then hopefully at, at that point in time, um, you know, you, you, can't, you can never predict it, but maybe the economy will turn around and, and we'll have a new funding formula there's a lot of things that are unknown right now in relationship to, to looking forward. That money, even though it's going to come into the state possibly uh, in, in 2010, we would look at it in the, in the fall of 2011 as far as how, how and when we would use it. Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811-1877-285-9348 and the website wfiu.org slash noon edition. This is probably less of an issue in Brown County than it is here uh, at MCCSC. But um, Dr. Koopman, if you were to walk into a classroom this fall, the same classroom you could have walked into last spring, what kind of things are you going to see that are different? I know I have um, uh, – children, uh, friends at North High School, and they've described some pretty disturbing things. Kids sitting on um, stools, uh, really crowded classrooms, uh, right next door to a dark classroom. Um, what, what would we say that's different? Well, that's, that, you're absolutely right. That's, that's exactly what you would see are larger class sizes and po- perhaps a, a teacher that was in that building last year that is no longer there or because of the shifting of teachers from one building to another. For instance, we had an art teacher that moved from a high school position to an elementary, and that art position no longer exists at, uh, at Bloomington South. So um, those are the, the things that uh, these expenditure reductions and the revenue shortfall is creating for districts throughout the state and throughout the country, is that programs are going away, Opportunities for kids that we would want for them are going away, larger class sizes, and, and teachers really having a more difficult task ahead of them because they have more children that they need to attend to uh, in the classroom. You, you know, every study I've ever heard boils it down to it's about class size. You know, it's all about class size and individual attention. The smaller the class, probably the, that's a great predictor of student success. And yet, uh, this seems to be the Achilles heel of the education system is class size and teachers. Um, how do you – I would think this would be a great source of frustration uh, for you in a position as superintendent to have to continually fight this battle um, and, and really almost be at war with your own state. How, can you speak to that at all? Well, absolutely. You know, I think as as school superintendents – uh, what we try to do is look for opportunities that that will best serve all of our students' needs. And as a result of budget shortfalls, we don't have those opportunities. You know, we're, we're trying to maintain 
what I'll just refer to as some basic services for kids, and that's really what what not why we got into the our positions mm-hmm. as educational leaders and facilitators for student success because we we will look at those opportunities for our teachers and for our kids. Um, In our district, we're trying to put together professional learning communities so that teachers can collaborate with each other and look at student learning on a more individualized basis and and provide opportunities that way. But still, uh, there's some programs that uh, no longer exist. And, uh, so, so you're talking about kind of focusing then on the mainstream, the AP kinds of things and the, um, the, the opportunities for um, probably the other end of the spectrum, if you will. Um, those are the ones that are in the most danger then. So, well, definitely our at-risk programs. And, uh, the, you know, we had to close Aurora High School and that was our alternative high school for our non-traditional learners. We relocated the program uh, in, a, in a decimated format back to Broadview. We still have the program in place, but uh, with a lot less personnel uh, providing opportunities for those kids. So, um, I, you know, quite honestly, uh, alternative education and non-traditional learners are near and dear to my heart because, you know, many of those kids are very, very bright. They just don't operate well in a large high school. Mm-hmm. And so providing them other opportunities to be successful uh, is very difficult in this environment. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the programs that you've had to cut out in, in Brown County? Well, we um, we went to a multi-graded classroom at several of our elementary schools based on enrollment. Uh, what we used to call a split situation. room. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we did that last year and we're in our second year in that program this year. Um, I think there are some opportunities in that, but um, I certainly would echo what you said, Mary Catherine, that um, – our class sizes are a little bit larger than they used to be, and and I would agree that if we can, uh, you know, we can find situations where they are uh, smaller, we we think that's a better situation. Um, we changed our high school schedule program from uh, block eight back to a traditional seven period uh, program this year, so we're in the first year of that change. That certainly would be a difference that you would see at Brown County High School. Uh, and we've been we had been on that program I think for something like twelve years, so um, I think there are some real opportunities for us in that. Uh, our principal Matt Stark, uh, when uh, Dr. Koopman mentioned the excitement of the beginning of the year, one of the one of the things that uh, Mr. Stark mentioned to me was the first day of school is Christmas for him. It, it is a very exciting day in any school corporation or the start of school, not mm-hmm. even only the first day. Uh, but for us at Brown County High School. We think there's been kind of a heightened energy because of the change of schedule. It's something new. Um, we uh, we did some uh, some building upgrades, some pretty basic things that were way overdue um, in in some of our school facilities at Brown County High School. We have new lockers. Uh, I think we had lockers that had dated back to 1960 uh, <laughs> that, that we replaced, and uh, so I think the kids are real excited about that. Uh, we did some parking lot. Uh, renovations and, and a number of other things too. So uh, you come back uh, to school and, and, and those kinds of things uh, plus the opening of school and seeing boys and girls uh, faces for the first time are, are really exciting. But those are a couple of things that I think would be different from the standpoint of the of the budget uh, concerns that we have had. And I, and I would say I would echo uh, what I think Dr. Koopman has, has implied. I think the challenge and if there is an Achilles heel, it's it's, it, it is this uh, constant battle that we seem to have with budgeting and, you know, how to make the numbers work for the, the best uh, experience for boys and girls. And I think those of us that are in this uh, position that we're in, and for me, I'm relatively new. I'm beginning my fourth year as a superintendent. Um, it is a, a very interesting job and a very challenging job, one that we do a lot of second-guessing of ourselves on. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to take a, a short break. I want to remind you that we are talking about uh, the challenges facing public schools with David Schaefer, who's the superintendent of the Browns, Brown County Schools, and Monroe County School Superintendent, Dr. J.T. Koopman. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Telephone. Information at Smithville, 
wfiu.net. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. Programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, as well as play and opera reviews are all available on demand. Find out more at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 8.33 a.m., 11.55 a.m., and 5.45 p.m. to catch that day's feature. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. <laughs> We're going to talk about a lot of things yeah. in the second half of the program. We uh, haven't stopped talking, actually. No, we haven't. Uh, <laughs> I'm Bob Zaltzberg, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael, and our guest today, Brown County School Superintendent David Schaefer and Monroe County uh, community School Superintendent Dr. J.T. Koopman. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. Our website, if you want to send us an email, is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Yeah, there are lots of things. You know, we do this program a program similar to this, the beginning of the mm-hmm. school year, but this year just seems a little bit a little bit different. And And we were talking a little bit before the break about – um, the positives and about the energy that happens when school starts again. I would uh, assume that both of you. I know. I know you make a uh, uh, an address to your teachers. I suppose you probably do too. Do. I mean, what's the, what was the message this year? How did you you know in this time that everybody has been sort of talking about the challenges? How did you talk about the opportunities, Dr. Kuman? Well, I. <clears throat> I think that, uh, as, as I stated at the at the outset, last year was a, a, a very difficult year, and we had a lot of challenges to meet in a very short period of time in order to have a balanced budget. And so um, we've, we've put that uh, behind us. Uh, I, I want to thank uh, our community. I want to thank our foundation and Tina Peterson for the Yeoman's effort that was set forth mm-hmm. this summer to fund our extracurricular programs. And I think that provided a lot of positive energy. And uh, one of the unintended outcomes of that was bringing all of the schools together and working together, and we call it our all-for-all campaign. And uh, that was intentionally done that way. Uh, Some of those programs, because of booster clubs uh, and and a little bit more organization in one one, uh, form of an extracurricular activity over another, may have had a little bit more horsepower to raise money than some other programs, and we really didn't want that. We, We felt like that they were all important. And the community stepped up, and, and I've, I was absolutely amazed and astounded that we were able to raise uh, $675,000 in 46 days to fund our extracurricular program. So uh, I want to make sure that I thank the community and thank our staff members and administrators and, and Tina Peterson and the foundation and the foundation board for their support for that effort because those programs are really important. And that's one of the things that kids uh, become engaged and motivated to come to school is those after-school and before-school activities and weekend activities that Mm -hmm. they're involved with. So I think that provided some positive energy going into the school year. Uh, We started last uh, February um, uh, training for professional learning communities and and, uh, embarking upon that journey. And and basically, uh, it, it takes a look at every student uh, measured against uh, uh, him or herself in relationship to student learning. And our mantra is that we want every student learning at a high level. And so that's how we're approaching this. And the teachers have really embraced it. And I think that's provided them some new energy going into this school year because they collaborate. They don't work in isolation. They don't walk into their classroom and close the door and then try to figure it out for themselves they work with each other and they take a look at each one of those kids and they say, okay, what can we do better to provide quality opportunities for this student so that they can learn at a high level? And uh, so I think that has really been exciting for us. Um, We had an opening day speaker that uh, had done um, uh, professionally, uh, professional learning communities when he was a principal. And as a practitioner, I think that was meaningful for our staff to hear and see what he had done because his schools were award-winning schools and one of his schools was, was a high-poverty school that he basically turned around uh, through professional learning communities. And so, again, I, I think that as professionals, our teachers have embraced that concept. 
and professional learning communities. It takes a long time for that to become part of the culture. Uh, but, but most of our staff have quickly embraced that. So can, a lot of energy there. Yeah. Can you give uh, give us a little bit more um, of, of a spe- specific idea of what the professional learning communities uh, would would be about? I mean, how if I'm a teacher, what am I doing differently under that program than I might have been doing otherwise? I mean, who who am I working with? Who's my little Who's my community? Well, your, your community, in, in, in most cases, are at the grade levels. At, at the elementary, it's going to be your grade level uh, colleagues. It, it could be uh, more than that. It could be related arts teachers that are part of that mix. So it depends on how the principals arrange that. At the secondary level, the same is true. Uh, you're going to have um, all of the colleagues in the content area, or it could be um, teachers that are divided into, if they teach all freshman classes, those freshman math teachers coming together and talking about all the students in, in algebra, for instance. And uh, the principals try to establish what we refer to as common planning time, and those teachers coming together and figuring out uh, how students learn best, and if they didn't learn, why, and what can we do differently so that we can help them learn at a high level. And uh, so, it, it's, it's more formalized uh, opportunities when they come together and talk about those kids and the instruction in their classroom about what worked, what didn't work, why didn't it work, and how, how can we change the, the, the learning environment so that it will work. And so it, when I say it's more formalized, you know, teachers may get together and talk, but this, this gives them four questions to focus on in relationship to moving instruction forward. And then it also gives them the opportunity, if it didn't work, as to why, and then what can they do differently to move it forward so that those kids can learn. Mm-hmm. So it formalizes those, uh, what I refer to as courageous conversations surrounding student learning. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I want to give uh, Mr. Schaefer the opportunity to answer that question about you know, how, you, how you instilled uh, a lot of energy into, into your teachers. And then we do have a phone call we're going to go to. So. Okay. Well, we um – have an opening of school meeting with all of our staff each year. This year we talked about the impact that each of us can make on the lives of boys and girls. We talked about the great things that can happen in our profession. The opportunity to work with kids every day is a very special and unique opportunity. And I don't know that that was particularly motivational to our staff, but uh, uh, I think it's something that uh, is important to point out from time to time. Um, and it and it helps us, I think, keep kids as the focus. Um, we have spent a lot of time in the last year on, uh, uh, particularly on mathematics curriculum initiatives, and trying to make sure that we're emphasizing the proper proper standards. And, and you're probably going to talk about this in a minute, but Indiana has recently adopted new national Common Core standards in all of the subjects, and. Uh, we've had some conversation about that, uh, um, delayed uh, selecting uh, textbooks for elementary school and junior high uh, and selected a very creative um, um, internet-based uh, program for our high school mathematics. And, and we're hopeful that you know, that will have some significant impact on uh, students' ability to uh, do math and particularly uh, take that algebra end of course assessment that is now a high school graduation requirement. So we spend a little bit of time talking, talking about that also. So I'll, I'll keep it brief because we okay. want to get to your call. All actually. right. Well, let's go to the phone. Ian is on the phone. Ian. Hi. Yes. Uh, good afternoon to everybody on the panel. Hi, Ian. Hi, uh, and thank you for your work. Uh, I want to thank you for all that you do, both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, I am calling, I have a background in the hospitality industry, and I know one of the uh, focal points I teach a, a course at Scottsdale Culinary Institute is this, uh, this challenge of energy efficiency within the facilities. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, uh, with the new green technologies and green initiatives that are coming out, and I've been doing research on different technologies, uh, has that been approached? Have you looked into possibly technologies that you could take from, say, your capital expenditure fund, invest into, say, something that uh, had a, a, a return on investment, and after you reach that return, then you could take that fund fundage and put it into, say, that general fund you were talking about earlier? Is that something that people or superintendents are looking into at this point? In, in Brown County, we have um, our uh, energy systems, our heating and it, HVAC uh, programs on uh, computer controls, and, and we're able to monitor um, 
how well we're doing. Uh, I won't say that we don't have buildings that get out of line in the winter being too warm or in the summer being too cool, but we uh, feel like we can react pretty quickly to that. Um, those are uh, programs that are not brand new, but uh, I guess the, the, the newest thing that we've done in that area, Ian, is um, we appointed a year ago uh, a building-level um, energy monitor, let's call it. Uh, uh, we sometimes called them the, the energy czar uh, to just kind of be on the lookout at the building level beyond uh, the regular uh, supervisory staff and custodial staff to, to try to find ways that we can be more energy efficient. Oftentimes, I think that amounts to uh, uh, our staff uh, leaving uh, electrical devices on. Do we leave lights on? Do we leave computers on at night? And a lot of kinds of pretty simple and mundane things like that that I think end up uh, helping us. Um, how how well we do, I, I, I can't uh, give you some specific uh, statistics on that, but uh, it is an awareness factor for us. And uh, in Monroe County Community Schools, uh, we have some green initiatives as well as some um, energy conservation habits. Uh, and through our capital projects uh, fund, we're trying to uh, add windows, uh, airlocks, um, roofing that is, has greater insulation qualities to save money. And so, uh, for instance, uh, we just built a, a new elementary school called Fairview Elementary, uh, and we'll have geothermal uh, heating and air conditioning in that building, and I think we'll realize significant savings through geothermal transportation building. We have uh, some green initiatives in that building as well. Uh, it sounds simple, but it has a white roof uh, for reflective qualities as well as some using uh, and reusing uh, the stormwater uh, in that building. And so, um, and, and we too uh, have uh, what's called a guaranteed uh, energy savings program, and it's changing habits of, of people, uh, closing blinds, closing windows, uh, making sure doors are closed, airlocks are closed, turning off computers, all of those kinds of things that Mr. Schaefer mentioned in relationship to, to energy savings. And absolutely, those will save us uh, general fund dollars that we hope to put back into the classroom. All right, Ian. I appreciate it, and uh, every penny counts, and I, I wish you all the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks right. for your call, Ian. Thanks a lot for the call. 855-0811-1877-285-9348, and our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, at the break, we were talking, and um, Mr. Schaefer, you mentioned that Brown County also has a referendum this fall. Can you talk about that a little bit? I didn't know this. Well, ours is going to be, uh, I think, a very unique one as far as uh, public school referendums um, are concerned. We have a, an adult education program called the Brown County Career Resource Center. It was originally created by a Lily Cape, Lily Endowment Cape Grant uh, program, and um, the funding for that um, – was supposed to have been exhausted uh, in December of 2008. We've been able to, to uh, let's say, milk that so that it is. We still have uh, it operation, operational largely on uh, remaining Cape Grant funds. But we've come to the coming to the end of the line on that. So uh, we have uh, made a decision at the school board level to ask uh, our voters for a one penny per hundred dollars of assessed valuations. Uh, referendum to go to our general fund, which uh, then would be designated money that would go to fund about 60 percent of the annual operating expense of this uh, career resource center. So um, I'm, not, I'm not aware of any other public uh, school corporations refer referendums that have been tied specifically to an adult ed program. And I'm not aware of any that ha I, I suppose there have been some that have been uh, that limited amount of money. But uh, we're, we're going to see uh, whether or not uh, the voters of our community feel like it's important enough to continue that program by supporting um, that, that penny referendum. So explain uh, – give us uh, sort of the, the pitch for the referendum. Why do you think that program is, is that important? Well, we have uh, noticed uh, a number of successes in the, the uh, program at the Career Resource Center. We have um, an affiliation with Ivy Tech, so there have been the opportunity for local people to take Ivy, Ivy Tech coursework 
in our community in Nashville uh, rather than having to travel over here to Bloomington or to Columbus. Uh, we've had a number of people, obviously, who've taken advantage of that over the years. We saw a tremendous boost in the number of people earning GED certificates as a result of the program falling under the uh, um, supervision of the Career Resource Center as opposed to the way we previously offered it, which was simply coursework uh, available to prepare for the test th- through our high school. We found that people seem to be much more receptive to come into the Career Resource Center, which is housed in what was the old Brown County Public Library building, mm-hmm. which the school corporation now owns, and uh, do their do their work and do their programming that way. There are a number of other um, supplemental educational opportunities that folks have gotten uh, uh, and have taken advantage of, electrical training, uh, uh, different kinds of vocational uh, types of, of work. So I think it's been a very important um, Opportunity for the demographics of our community. Uh, we, we've got a lot of folks over in Brown County who are out of work right now, who are, uh, you know, really having a hard time uh, making a go of it. And uh, the opportunity for adult education, I think, uh, it maybe is never more important uh, than it has been. At the same time, those folks who are having a hard time um, may have a hard time, you know, Supporting an additional uh, penny tax on their on their property taxes for those of them that are property owners. So our challenge is to present the importance of the program and see if we can convince enough voters to uh, support it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like that's your challenge too, Dr. Koopman. I mean, asking the voters to you know dig into their pocket for more money to pay property taxes. Indiana is a state that um, you know I think we've we haven't really touched on it today, but I think that a lot of the problems that have occurred have to do with the fact that the schools were taken off the property taxes and put on uh, income and sales taxes as, as their main means of, of funding and then the economy went in the tank. Right. And much so, more volatile. Much more volatile. So, you know, that's something that we've talked about in this program and mm-hmm. a lot of people have talked about. So, you know, your, your challenge is to convince people that, who don't like property taxes to pay more property taxes. So what, what are your priorities? I mean, when you go out and, and pitch this, I mean, what, what, are, what are the priorities for you for how, how you're going to spend that extra money? Well, the, obviously, uh, the, the classrooms that are dark, the class sizes that are large, uh, we want to turn the lights back on in the classrooms and we want to reduce uh, classroom sizes. I think our um, alternative ed or, or programs for our at-risk youth uh, certainly are high profile for us. Well, and extracurricular activities can't be funded by a big fundraiser every year. You can, you know, that that's just not sustainable. It, it is not sustainable, and if we're going to have those programs, which are very, very important to our our students, and it's a large segment of of, of our student population that take advantage of those programs, and you know, just for the listening audience, it it goes well beyond uh, athletics. You know, it's our band, it's our choir. It's our academic teams. It's our student government. All of those kinds of things are part of the extracurricular activities that are that are funded and supported by uh, teachers and others that that want those opportunities for our kids. Um, so, uh, you know, spell bowl, uh, our robotics teams, uh, solar bike teams, all of those uh, are are meaningful activities that tie back to what kids learn in in our classrooms. Um, literacy skill development is, is very, very high priority for us, uh, trying to do some things in relationship to um, perhaps right now our, our uh, kindergarten program is the half day is funded by the state, the other half day uh, is, is self-pay by parents. And it would certainly be nice to have some preschool kindergarten opportunities for those kids so that they can come to school ready to learn in the first grade. Our goal, uh, like the state, is to have every child reading at grade level by grade three. But we need those opportunities in pre-kindergarten, kindergarten, and first grade if that's going to happen. Bob, I'm almost going to take issue with the way you phrased that question because you asked um, Dr. Koopman what he was doing to convince people. Really, as I understand it, this referendum in, in Monroe County is really a citizen-led movement and one that certainly, as I understand it, the school administration and school board is supportive of. But um, the leaders of your referendum are not school employees by any means. No. In, in our steering committee, I'm, I'm glad you presented that because it, it has to be a community-led initiative. Uh, it has to be something that the community wants and the community supports. 
And as I stated earlier, uh, quality schools equal a quality community and a community that uh, one of which we're all proud and people want to move here, businesses want to locate here. So it really is. Businesses have educated employees from which to draw. They can't have jobs here if we don't have employees who can read. Educated workforce, absolutely. So um, our uh, the, the three chairs that we have for that uh, are all senior citizens, by the way, and the senior citizens uh, that, we are, that we've talked with uh, realize the importance of quality education and appear to be supporting it. Um, and so uh, they have the time. They also have the expertise in the background because all three of them uh, have some education uh, opportunities uh, in, in their past. Uh, one actually has 10 years of extensive experience in another state dealing with referendums. And so referendums are new to the state of Indiana. This is a, a, a steep learning curve for us in, in how to do a referendum and what it stands for. So um, it, it's a real challenge for us, and I think it's an important challenge for the community going forward. And if, if you look back to 1999 when there was a referendum here that, that failed – I think the circumstances are much different, and I think the opportunities that we're trying to present with the with those dollars are much different. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah. the 1999 referendum was for capital expenditures too, correct? Yes. Is that correct? Okay. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of phone calls. We, let's go first to Frank. Frank? Uh, hello? Hi. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, I would like to throw something out there that I haven't heard much talk about. We hear an awful lot about money, and I don't have any problem with that. I'm willing to pay more taxes, whatever it takes, in order to um, fund the schools as needed. But it seems to me human capital is something I don't hear very much spoken of. And I'm not speaking of paid capital, but volunteer capital. Um, I... I myself am a volunteer in one of the local elementary schools in the third grade. And I think that having another adult in the classroom, particularly in the lower grades, to maintain order, to uh, direct students' attention, they do wander in their minds and look around, etc. And particularly at the time of day when they're doing their home link work, Uh, Many of them don't have any kind of help at home. There are a lot of reasons for that, and I'm not criticizing parents. But having another adult in the room to help them do that work, again, particularly in the lower grades, uh, for as much time of the day as possible that someone can be there, I think would be very beneficial. Um, I think this requires a campaign, a community lobbying campaign, if you will, not just an announcement in the newspaper in the opportunities section, but it needs to be sort of up front, people talking about it in articles, mentioning it on the radio, and also, quite frankly, the, uh, the school corporation really needs to mount a lobbying campaign. I think there are a lot of adults, um, excuse me, of course there are adults, uh, retired people in the community who could afford to offer an hour or two a day, several days a week, or even one day a week. I know the teacher I work with appreciates my presence very much, and I think anyone who does it would find it entertaining, rewarding, and very satisfying. That's really all I wanted to say. All right, Frank, we'll get some reaction to uh, what you've said. Programs in your schools? Well, let me let me first of all thank Frank for volunteering in in our classrooms. We I absolutely appreciate that, and I cannot disagree with anything that he said. Uh, and in our school district, we're actually fortunate to have a volunteer coordinator in Teresa Malone. And uh, Teresa set up uh, some some information. Uh, we had our summit open house last night, and she's going to all of the elementary open houses and trying to talk with those folks that are coming to the open houses and being volunteers in our classrooms. Uh, We're fortunate to have Indiana University here in our backyard, and we have a lot of students that are coming into our classrooms that provide some additional assistance to our kids and our staff. So absolutely, we'll take advantage of of any of those 
uh, appropriate uh, adult and student volunteers uh, and interns that we can possibly have in our classrooms. Mm-hmm. We have a community support group in Brown County called the Literacy Coalition, and they have uh, obviously a mission to help uh, uh, adult education uh, in the area of literacy, but they also have mounted a considerable effort to uh, provide volunteer tutors within our school. So I would concur with what Dr. Koopman said, and, and I would certainly agree with uh, as well everything that, that Frank says about the value that particularly, particularly senior citizens have to offer to our boys and girls and to our to our teaching staff. We also have a program uh, over there which isn't a completely volunteer program called Foster Grandparents. And the Foster Grandparents program puts uh, a senior citizen in the classroom, I think I think it's four days a week, uh, and there is a, a small stipend that goes with that. But those kinds of programs um, have been, a, I think, a great benefit, and we certainly welcome uh, so many folks who have uh, rich backgrounds and knowledge to come into our schools and help us. Okay, we're going to try to get Jim on the phone. Jim, we only have about a minute to go, though. You okay. have a quick question? Yeah, I'll do. I'll keep it quick. But I, I live here in Bloomington. I grew up in Brown County, went to school there. My dad was a teacher over there, and so I'm very um, supportive of the public school systems. However, I have a son here in a elementary school, third grade in Bloomington, and I see what's going on with the just the excess spending. I look at the expense of Fairview School and the most expensive kind of construction you could possibly see, the bus barn that's just been uh, built with limestone on it, which cost a lot of extra money, the park, you know, paving over the soccer field and then having to pay millions of dollars to bring more dirt to make a new practice field. I mean, when does this stop? And at the same time this is going on, the school's claiming that they're broke and, you know, making, you know, to get the public outrage, they... I announced they're going to cut off the coaching. And I intentionally bought a house that's close to um, Jackson Creek Elementary or Middle School and would, uh, would also be in the very close to South High School. But now the school buses have to bus the kids all the way up to Tri North. The districts make no sense. It costs extra money to run these buses. Jim, Jim, yeah. we, are out of, we are out of time. Yeah. We and are out of time. That's fine. I'm sorry. Hey, I just wanted to say that, as as Dr. Koopman said earlier, a lot of these funds can't be commingled. You can't spend construction funds for operating funds. But, you know, Jim had a had some legitimate points, but we're not going to be able to respond to them. I'm sorry. I want to thank our guests today, J.T. Koopman and David Schaefer, uh, superintendents from the Monroe County Schools and Brown County Schools. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Dan Goldblatt, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.